grace and peace are yours from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This week we start a new sermon series. We've got a little sermon intro video to start. on earth? No, I tell you, but division. What? This worship series, we'll see Jesus deliver some hard truth. Sometimes it's hard because we have to unpack what he means. How is this consistent with the other things that Jesus has said, that the Bible says? Sometimes it's hard because it's not necessarily something that we want to hear. It's a challenging teaching. But we know this. It's coming from Jesus, so it's going to be good. And I think we understand that. Sometimes we need to hear hard truth. Sometimes it's the friend who cares about us enough that they're willing to come up to us and, and mention something that's been going on. To say, have you noticed how your boyfriend treats you? And, and those are the kind of things that they may sting for a little bit, or they may be hard to hear or accept, but when they're coming from a friend, someone that we trust... It's good to listen. It's good to pay attention, even when it's hard truth. And that's what we do here at St. Paul's, too, where we teach the Bible, even when it's hard, even when the teachings and doctrines are difficult, because it comes from Jesus. Hard truth can be loving, and it is loving when it comes from our Savior. So here we have Jesus. He is resolutely marching toward Jerusalem. He's getting closer and closer. His disciples aren't going to be with him for very much longer. He has important things to say to them, hard things, tough things sometimes. But he uses this to prepare his disciples, to prepare us. He begins by saying that he has come to bring fire on this earth. I mean, it makes me think, first of all, of, of Judgment Day, Jesus coming from the clouds again and just destroying this world and start something new. But what's he talking about? I'm coming to bring fire on the earth. It makes me think of wildfires that just rage and burn and everything that's not fireproof in their path just gets turned and, and burned down to ashes. But that's not everything that happens. Sometimes fire hits objects that are impermeable to fire and it can it can burn away all of the excess and leave something refined and pure and smelted. We think about 
fire in other ways, too. We, we think about fire that can even light a forest on fire and then help seeds to be able to grow and new life to be able to start. So what's Jesus talking about here? Well, he's saying that the fire that he is going to bring will not be peaceful for everyone. It will actually divide people. Yet Jesus says, I wish it were already kindled. I wish this fire was already started. Whatever this fire is, Jesus is ready for it to start. So is he talking about Judgment Day? Is, is Jesus saying, I am excited to come down and, and burn up the sinners? That would be a hard truth. I don't think that's where Jesus is going. Let's read on. Jesus continues, he says, I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Okay, now wait a second. Where are we in Jesus' ministry? I have a baptism to undergo. Didn't, didn't the baptism of Jesus happen right in the beginning of Jesus' ministry? Wasn't that chapters and chapters ago? Yes. So he's not talking about his, his baptism where he's baptized in the Jordan River with the apostle John, or with the disciple John the Baptist. But he's talking about a different kind of baptism. Here he is, he's anxious and he's concerned and he seems to wish that this baptism were already over. So, so the context here shows that Jesus isn't talking about the sacrament of baptism, the washing away of sins, but he's using the term baptism here as a metaphor to, to think about baptism but apply it in a different way. So when we think about baptism, we'll often think about something, water in that case, being poured out, or maybe someone being immersed underneath the water. So now Jesus here says, I have a baptism to undergo, and he's not looking forward to it, but he wishes that it was completed. There would be a time when something horrible and painful would be poured out onto Jesus, when he would just be covered up. Jesus has used this kind of language before, too, talking about baptism. Do you remember when the disciples, James and John, they came up to Jesus and they said, Teacher, do for us whatever we want, whatever we ask you. Okay, what do you want? And they say, oh, one of us sitting on your right and one on your left in glory. And Jesus responded to them by saying, Can, can you... Can you undertake, can you be part of, can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? And they said, we can. He said, okay, you will. So he's using the same kind of, of language, something big that's coming. Can you drink this cup? Can you be baptized in the way that I'm baptized? And he's talking about a different kind of a, a cup, something else being poured out. He's talking about God's wrath being poured out. He's talking about drinking all the way down the cup of suffering. The anger of God over sin being poured out on him. He's talking about the cross. Jesus' death on the cross and then the following proclamation of who Jesus is and what he did would kindle a fire that would spread throughout the whole world. And what would this, the result of this, of this fire going out from Jesus' death on the cross? Peace? On earth? No. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you. But division. There's a hard truth that disciples of Jesus 
Christians need to know of, need to be aware of, need to be prepared for. The message of the cross, the message of Jesus, Jesus himself will cause division. It just will. Have you seen this? Within the closest relationships, even family, like Jesus would go on to talk about five in a family and everybody against each other. This can happen. The gospel can cause division. Some believe it, and some don't care. Some are, are, are fired up and passionate about it. Some are opposed to it. Some, some are try to say that they're neutral, but there's, there's just no neutral ground when it comes to the gospel. There are believers and there are unbelievers. The message of the cross would go on to cause intense opposition in the time of Jesus and then the apostles who followed him. The disciples might have thought that Jesus was coming to bring peace on earth. And depending on how they defined peace on earth, they might end up being very wrong if they had the wrong idea about what peace should look like. They would be wrong, and we would be wrong, if we defined peace that Jesus brings like the peace that our culture sometimes looks for. If they thought of peace as, as tolerance, of just everyone doing their own thing, they'd be wrong. You do you, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do me, let's agree to disagree, we can all follow our own paths. They might be tempted to think of peace like, like John Lennon does in, in the song, Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries, it isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for, and no religion, too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us, and the world will be as one. Musically, it's a beautiful sounding song, right? It can be tempting for us to buy into that kind of peace, too, a superficial peace on earth, where, where everybody just gets along and everybody believes what they want to believe. We can start to believe that too. Because when we think about who Jesus is, I mean, he's our, he's our good shepherd, he's our savior, he is the embodiment of love himself. He calls us to love one another, yet there's a danger in taking our favorite things about Christ and thinking that's the only thing about Christ. And then we may start to believe in Christ that's not really Jesus at all. You could call him the John Lennon Jesus, or, or the hippie Jesus, or the, the Jesus who just says, love is all you need, and then we define love as making sure that, that everybody's happy with each other. Love means accepting everybody and everybody else's belief. Love means never making a judgment. Love means never saying a hard truth. That's a false Christ. That kind of Jesus just doesn't exist. But have you been tempted to believe in him? Sometimes? The hard truth is Jesus is coming, and he will kindle a fire on, on Judgment Day, and, and hell is real. And if we live without a sense of urgency to hear his powerful word or to share his powerful word, then, 
the real Jesus eventually, this time of grace, this opportunity to hear and believe and share, will come to an end. There will be a division of believers and unbelievers. That will happen because Jesus is the judge of this world. And because of each of our individual sinfulnesses, we should be divided out from his family. That's a hard truth. The hard truth can be loving. The John Lennon Jesus, the hippie Jesus, the love is all you need Jesus doesn't actually exist. That's a false Christ. But this Jesus isn't real either. The real Christ isn't an evil, judgmental, destruction-loving God either. That's another false Christ. The real Jesus is much more beautiful and much more complex than any of these caricatures of Christ that we might be tempted to believe in. The real Jesus, the real gospel, the real truth is that the, the true word of God is powerful. It's, it's a message of the cross and of the Savior who went to the cross. Our Old Testament lesson says just how powerful the message of Jesus is. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks rocks in pieces. The hard truth is that Christians need to be ready for rejection and pain and even opposition because many people will refuse to believe the gospel. Many will reject it, even close friends and family members. But the flip side of that division that happens is that not everybody will. Some will believe it. Some will look at the cross of Jesus and see something very different. They won't see a vengeful God who demands sacrifice. They won't see a silly idea about a man who thought he was divine and then was, was killed in the end. They won't see merely a good teacher who taught us to love one another. They will look at the cross and see a man who is more than just a man. They will see a God who looked down on a world of sinners and was not okay with none of them being with him in eternity. He was not okay with kindling a fire and destroying them all and starting over. Instead, they would look and they'd see a God who bore all the sins of the world so that they could be punished on him instead of in them. They would see a God who gives the very thing he demands, a perfect and holy human life, who, who would punish a perfect and holy sinner, or a perfect and holy human for a sinner like me, you, and this whole world. This is the eternal, immortal, and all-powerful God who hangs on the cross. So his life and death counts for you, and it counts for everyone. But because this is also a true man who is going to the cross, a true man with the same emotions that I have, he wasn't exactly excited to get there. Yet in the epistle lesson, it's described as joy. That he would, he would scorn the shame of the cross, but he still knew just how very painful this was going to be. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was prepared to drink this cup, to, to have this kind of baptism of suffering poured out on him. He, he wasn't looking forward to it, but he was looking forward to finishing it. I will complete this. And, and those are the words that Jesus said from the cross, too. 
Here, today, he says, I wish it were completed, but on the cross, he says, it is complete. It is finished. Your sins are paid for. Heaven is your home. This cross would bring division. It would bring rejection. But faith in Jesus in that cross brings eternal life. And God would light another fire. You remember Pentecost. There was division there. There were flames that were divided, and they went on the heads of the apostles, and they went and boldly spoke God's word. And you know what happened. Do you know 3,000 people are, are baptized and come to faith from this, this, this challenging, beautiful message of the cross? And what happened after that? Churches are started, and even though there's persecution, and even though there's suffering, Churches are growing, and moms and dads are telling their kids and their friends and their neighbors, and fires are starting in people's hearts as the Holy Spirit brings people to faith. By grace, not all families would be divided. Maybe today you look around, and you see children and grandchildren and moms and dads and cousins sitting next to you in these chairs. Thank God for the power of the gospel. Maybe you don't see your family members here with you, but you know that somewhere in another part of this world, they're gathering around God's word too, that, that Jesus and his message of the cross is still important to them. Thank God for the power of the gospel. Maybe you're hurting because you personally know what it feels like to be part of a family where there's division and opposition and, and, and family members who have rejected the gospel or, or who just don't see it as very important to their lives anymore. And that's hard. I still want you to thank God for the power of the gospel. Even when you see this division that Jesus promised would happen. Why? Got three quick reasons. Reason number one, we can thank God for the power of the gospel. Even if your family is divided, even if your friends aren't here. Number one, you are. God has done his powerful work in your heart. He started the, the fire of faith right here. He's blasted through a heart of stone, and you know his love, and you know eternity is yours, and you have a peace that goes beyond understanding that is much better than this world's definition of peace. Thank God for the power of the gospel. The second reason you can thank God is you have another family here gathered together. Maybe you wouldn't choose them to be part of your family, but that's how family works. God puts them together, and we can show love to each other and know each other's pain and get to know each other. My prayer is that more and more we can do that and just be the best spiritual family for each other here at St. Paul's. We thank God for the power of the gospel. And number three, there's still time. You may have family and friends who are, who are disconnected and divided against Christ. You can still thank God for the power of the gospel. Because you're still here, and they're still here, and I don't know what God's going to do with your, your patient love, your gentle, respectful invitations, with your prayers. I don't know who or what God will send into their life, but I know this. The gospel is 
powerful. Jesus is real. Jesus died for their sins too. And who knows, one day they may hear, they may remember, they may ask you more, and they may believe it. When the child in the manger was born that night in Bethlehem, the angels sang, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And they weren't lying. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, was born, and he did come to bring peace. The night before he went to the cross, Jesus would tell his disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. It's a different kind of peace. It's an eternal peace. It's a peace that drives trouble from our hearts and drives out fear. It's a peace that unites and a peace to share. Amen.